On this week's episode of the Sixers Beat, we talk just a little bit more about new Sixers general manager Elton Brand. We give our impressions from training camp, some thoughts on whether to pursue a Jimmy Butler trade, and quick season previews for TJ McConnell and Dario Sharch. If you can, please do leave us a rating or review, particularly on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Head over to SixersBeat.com for those links. All right, on to the show. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek, joined by Rich on the latest Sixers Beat, part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. Finally have some uh, some basketball and also some, uh, I guess, uh, condensation on the floor, which isn't <laughs> totally uh, totally new to us no, as people who follow not. the Sixers, just a different building this time. It is, you know... I joked on Twitter that's the second rained out basketball game I've covered, which which feels like a lot for a basketball reporter. I guess not technically rained out, right? Because it's because of condensation on the court, but I'm going to call it rained out because that's as close as you will get. It is, you don't expect the playing surface to be unfit for basketball, but it is the second time it's happened now in the last two years. It is something that's become a little too common of an occurrence, but here we are. It's kind of a shame. And I know not exactly the highest quality basketball we were going to see yesterday, but it is the most extended run we were going to see. It's the closest thing we've been to real basketball in quite a while. And it would have been nice to have something a little more concrete to talk about, something for fans to really pour over. But uh, but here we are, a couple more days yeah. to wait. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I will say that I went to the uh, the Catholic League semifinals at the Palestra in February, and it was an unseasonably warm day. And I do remember, like, you know, when you were outside, it was just, beautiful to walk around it was like you know high high 60s low 70s when you got in there it was brutal right uh it's not the most uh it's not the most you know surprising thing i would say no this and this is something you know a lot of people are have blamed the sixers in the past certainly the one that happened what was it last two octobers ago i think or maybe november so somewhere in the fall of, of 2016 this happened with the Kings ended up getting rescheduled oh, no. in. But dude, that was in January. I thought the reschedule was in January. Uh, that's true. It might have been December. It was, it, it, was, was, it was, it was not in the, the fall. Okay. Okay. One. Okay. Fair enough. Um, but this one, this one is not on the Sixers outside of maybe scheduling at the Palestra, but I do think, you know, having some events at the Palestra, tapping into that, um, you know, historic venue, I think is, yeah, I, I'm okay with that. And I guess you're on the risk of this happening. It's a huge blow to fans who had purchased tickets and were really looking forward to it. They said they're going to try to, to reschedule it. Um, but I don't know exactly how they're going to do that. I mean, we're, 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 Christ, we're a day and a half away from preseason starting. They're about to go overseas. Then you jump into the regular season pretty quickly. So I'm not sure when they're going to be able to do that, but, uh, it, it, it is a shame for fans for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we want to start off with? We've got a few things to to, to hit on. Uh, I guess uh, let let's just do the the Elton presser really quickly because you know, and then and then this story will be will be done for a while until they make another move, which of course, you know, the, the whole power structure thing will get brought up again. I'm sure, but 
you know, we have real basketball, but like that, you know, that happened at the end of the week. We offered our initial thoughts on it, but Elton and Josh Harris spoke and, uh, I, I guess the, the main theme that they touched on was that Elton, they think is going to be a kind of a big time free agent recruiter. I'm very dubious whether or not this actually matters. And I think it's probably smart of the Sixers to really, first of all, I think Elton handled himself well. I think he answered questions well. I think he's a, you know, a charismatic, likable guy. I think that came through in the press conference. It certainly came through when he surprised everyone at the live Ricky and, and props on Elton for having the wherewithal to tap into that. He's, he's more already more diplomatic than his predecessor. Um, and <laughs> I, 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 think, by the way, I think people I, are going to love. Guy, I had a guy hit me up on Twitter and say, you know, cause I, we called him a Colangelo guy and then they were like, he went on the Ricky right after you did that. Yeah. Like as, as somehow that proves who uh, who hired him wrong. But it, yeah, that was a good move by him. And that reaction that you got on Twitter is exactly why it was a smart move <laughs> yeah, for Elton exactly. to do. Oh, by the way, that, that podcast will now not be critical of him for two years um, because that's what they do. We, on the other hand, don't. Uh, and that's why you listen to us for actual basketball takes and them to be part of a cult. I wasn't, I wasn't going to go that far, but <laughs> I, I just thought the reaction on it was, was interesting. He still is very much a Colangelo. Sure, of course, of course. Um, but I mean, he, he, he did well. But going back to your point, <coughs> excuse me, Harris couldn't, he couldn't go, he couldn't go two minutes without bringing up Elton's ability to attract free agents and to relate to players and how important that is. And this is a player's league and those who can attract players will be successful and all that. And I mean, look, we've been talking for years about why this is a player's league, mostly because of the CBA and how it allows teams to construct like that and how it makes teams at destinations not based off of how much cap space they have, but how, uh, you know, how attractive their star power is, both at location, a little bit with, uh, you know, you saw that with LA. I mean, we, we said this before, LeBron went to LA because of LA and the business opportunities, but also because of, you know, who you have on roster or whether or not you have the flexibility to go out and allow a free agent a la LeBron James in 2010 to bring his buddies with him and create a super team. It's all about teammates and stars congregating in a city. So it is a player's league. I just don't think a general manager is very high on the list of what will attract a player of that caliber. And go ahead. So you know who else thought, thought that too, Derek? A couple days before. <laughs> yes. Brett Brown said that. He, he, I believe, called it, he said it would be naive to think that a general manager has an impact on those decisions. Here's the exact quote. I think we would be naive to think that free agents choose a basketball program because of a general manager. They come because of Joel and Ben, and I hope the coach also has something to do with it. And that was in response to whether not having a full-time general manager hurt them in the LeBron sweepstakes this summer. Well, not only just LeBron, he, he said, I think the question directly was whether it hurt them over the summer. And that was LeBron, that was Paul George, that was Kawhi, that was, that was pretty much everything. I don't think it was just LeBron. Although I think yeah. it eventually went there because every discussion ends up ending at LeBron. It's like, um, but yes, I mean, it, I agree with Brett 100%. Players probably first, although not always, like I think we saw with LeBron, location might have been first and, uh, and Hollywood and his, his movie interest might have been first. But players a huge part in that. Coach a bigger part, I would say, than general manager. And whether or not the coach can relate to players a better, better, you know, a, a player interacts with a coach far more than he will ever interact with a general manager. So I think that's a greater importance too. It's just, I mean, it, it, did it help maybe the Lakers that they had Magic? And I think Magic's 
pretty pretty unique in terms of how he built this business empire. It's probably more Magic's business empire <laughs> that had a, 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 yeah. a an impact on that than Magic, the former player. And Magic's probably the most charismatic player, former player that you'll have in a general manager spot anyway. And even still, I think it was probably location and business interests and Magic's history with business interests that had an impact on that. If Magic was in Memphis where there's no, you know, movie industry, is is LeBron in Memphis? No, I don't I don't I don't think anybody would make that case. So I don't think if what you're doing is hiring Elton Brand because he can relate to players, and I think Josh probably believes that to some extent. I think that's a poor reason to hire someone. But I think Josh also probably believes that Elton will grow into the role, that he's smart, that he's a hard worker, none of which I, I probably dispute. I just don't think the lore of having a, a former player, a charismatic former player as a general manager, has quite the same impact. And I wouldn't use it as much of a basis. And look, that was the easiest part of Elton Brand's resume to quantify, to look at and say, look, he's a player, he relates to players. Fans could listen to that and believe that. They could buy that. And that doesn't mean that all the other aspects that Harris may have used to hire Elton aren't true as well. They're just a little more nebulous, a little harder to find for somebody with so little experience. So it makes sense for them to highlight his ability to relate. I just, if that's really what they're relying on, I don't think it has that as much of an impact as they believe it does. The, uh, yeah, I, I mean, Michael Beasley's been in the league for how many years? Twelve now? It's it's not like you're going to hire him as a general manager. Uh, I think, uh, how about the uh, Harris with that new school Tesla, oh, Tesla line, by the way? Not a, not exactly the delivery of Dave Chappelle on that one. <laughs> the uh, That was, oof, man. I wish, if I'm not lazy, maybe I'll, I'll slice that up and I'll cut it in here. Uh, it was, like you said, <laughs> Probably a C minus D plus joke to begin with, and the, the the delivery was just not there. That's a guy who's used to cracking bad jokes in boardrooms and getting <laughs> right because because right because of who they he work is. for him. Yep. Yeah. Um. Don't don't as as he likes to reference his day job a lot. Joshua Harris does. Don't quit your day job. For sure. And then I think there's also still the general confusion over how the room works. I, I do think that question uh, and. Of course, it was Howard Eskin firing in with the who has the final say while throwing uh, in 16 cackles and making himself the center of attention. Yes. Yeah. And I think that can be a little overly simplistic. It's a necessary question, though, to be clear. Uh, But I would imagine there are some examples where the consensus is pretty strong and everyone's on the same page. Uh, But ultimately, like I said, it is important. And while they did say Elton was the GM – Harris said Brown will report directly to him, and Brown kind of was like, yeah, that's a little bit of a new thing, at least on paper. Uh, and then they said he was in charge of the stuff on the court, which, like, of course, duh, he's the coach. Uh, no shit. I didn't think Elton was going to be drawing up after timeout plays anytime soon. Uh, and I think you mentioned David Heller a few podcasts ago as well. It's just, it's all a little murky and, uh, I'm not sure what the exact power structure is, but, you know, we may, we may not get an answer on that, uh, truth, for a while. Truth if, is, if at all. It, it could be fluid too. Uh, because yeah. I mean, they, they, they all pointed out that ultimately ownership has the final say and that's true in, in every structure. But who Joshua Harris and David Blitzer rely on and who they give the biggest voice to. I mean, that could, that could fluctuate over time. And it could, you know, maybe one day David Heller has a big say. Maybe that dwindles after time. Maybe Brett's say 
dwindles after time. Who knows? It could, it could all be fluid, which is not what we necessarily like to hear, but it is kind of what it is. And oh, by the way, this isn't the first time this ownership group has had a complicated and convoluted power structure. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I think, uh, and, and to finish, finish up, I would just like to say, you know, on top of everything we've said, we're pretty critical. We don't know. Maybe these guys kill it. And if they do, we'll be the first ones to give them credit. Uh, they, if they add that third star and, you know, create a sustainable and even more sustainable winning environment, cause they kind of already have one. And, uh, the other thing is, thank God we can stop talking about this. <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, like again, whenever the Sixers make a move, it's going to be brought up. But I think you know, I think we've kind of this thing's kind of run its course, and it's it's good that you know right right now we can kind of put it to bed for a little while. Yeah, I mean, look, I you know I pretty much got into sports writing because I liked team building, and I enjoyed that aspect of it. And I will always concentrate very heavily on the GM because I think that is, in many ways, almost a. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we spend so much time. It's easy to get caught up in the players and the coaches. I think GMs have perhaps the biggest responsibility of anyone in achieving a championship. Um, I mean, certainly the players do, but the GM gets the players. So I will always focus on this aspect of it. I love the team building aspect of the NBA. Uh, but there is at some point, you know, we can debate and discuss kind of to steal a term, the process of how they got here. And I think I have my grievances with that. But we can't know whether or not Elton is qualified. We can't know whether or not he will do a good job. At some point, you have to just step back and say, all right, well, here's our concerns and we'll see what happens. And I think, uh, I think that's pretty much where we are. Um, and like I said, like we said last podcast, like everyone you talk to likes Elton Brand will, will tell you that he works hard and that he's smart. It just, is he prepared? Has he had enough experience in this world to succeed from day one? And we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And, uh, uh, to, to make a transition to, to media day and training camp, you're welcome for the retweets on my question to Embiid about uh, what his first thought was when Brand was hired. <laughs> yeah, if if you didn't see it, his first impression was that it was only two years ago that he was dunk dunking on him, and what was it that he was dunking on him hard or something like that. Um, but yes, his first thought that Elton Brand was hired that wait the guy that I dunked on, um, which in perfect Embiid fashion, you always want one quote from media day because media day is just it's a slog i mean it is it is three to four hours and by the way credit the sixers it was quick this year it was on point i think we're out of there in three hours which is perfect in some years it's been five i want basketball and we're so close to basketball that i think that environment may frustrate me a little bit so you want one quote where you can really just take with it and run with it last year it was um amir johnson when he said when he came in the league, Rashid Wallace's Rashid Wallace. advice on how to gain weight was to drink beer. Uh, and that one, that one went, went over the interwebs. And this year it was Embiid on Elton. So good on, he's, good on Embiid. He's on the other spectrum from Harris. Embiid, as far as NBA personalities go, his delivery is on point when he's making a joke because he'll, he'll say it. He'll be like, yeah, you know, I remember dunking on him and then he'll kind of, He'll think about it for a second, and he's not really thinking about it. He's just going to repeat what he says. But that's so effective when he's like, yeah, man, I just just thought about dunking on him really, really hard. And that's what my thought was. Yeah. It, I mean, he, he cracked us all up. I don't, I don't love laughing at, uh, at, you know, these press conferences because, you know, I, I think at some 
some level we are there to do a job and not completely, uh, you know, kind of suck up to these guys. But I mean, Embiid is just fucking funny, man. I mean, look, when you make a good joke, you make a good joke. Yeah. And like exactly. you said, we're not going to laugh at Josh Harris's shitty joke just because he's the owner. Like that's not our, that's not our role in that environment. Uh, but if Embiid's going to be funny, I'm going to laugh. So yeah, he's funny, man. Uh, so what, what do you think your biggest take from the first three days of training camp? We had notes up every day at the athletic Philly subscribe. We had, I know we had a lot of subscribers the last week. I think people like us are ready to go for the season. What, uh, yeah, but what, what do you think? was your biggest takeaway from the first three days of practice, what we saw? So I know the coach and Simmons and Joel, they told us all week not to focus too much on a jump shot. But that <laughs> that's the one thing you can really tell in these settings. Like they're going to talk about new defensive schemes, and that's great. We've seen maybe three minutes of a five-on-five, five, so we can't really evaluate those new schemes. They're going to talk about Mark Allen's ability to get anywhere on the floor, and I believe in that. I saw that in Washington. You saw that times last year. But you can only see so much of it when we're seeing, you know, the tail end of practice where all they do is go through shooting drills. So I think our biggest takeaways over the course of the week are going to be the shooting drills. And, you know, some people will get on you for that, but it's what we're privy to see. I can't control that. Would I love to see a lot of five-on-five and tell you exactly what new defensive schemes are going to do? Yeah. Would I prefer that over talking about jump shots and free throws? Yeah, I would. But we don't get that part of practice, so we can only really report on on some things. So I think what I took away is Ben Simmons really changed his free throw. I'm not sure how successful it's going to be in the short term, but it's clear he made a pretty significant change to that. And Markel Fultz's jumper, and look, we've seen very little of this so far. I think I think I saw three three pointers, two free throws, and one hezy pull up Jimbo over the course of what we've seen so far. And that's it. That's all we had to go on. But the pull-up jumper looked kind of like the jumper you saw on the uh, Players' Tribune video. The threes looked kind of like the threes you saw in the Players' Tribune video. And I don't think it's a perfect form. I don't think he's anywhere near finished. But I think the fact that he is doing that kind of in an open environment, in an unedited film, is sort of a good takeaway. And I'm going to be measured with that because I don't think the form is perfect. Um, We'll probably end up sitting here nitpicking over it and I don't like doing that after you know a handful of shots but I think the fact that he was willing to take I think my biggest takeaway is that he took that pull-up jumper off the pick and roll with Embiid that that's honestly my biggest takeaway because last year he doesn't take that shot yeah and and the free throws we uh again I don't think the form looks good that are like finished I, I don't want to say it looks completely hopeless but it doesn't look finished by any means but it also looks more workable than kind of the shaking we saw last year to I, I don't really even know how to describe whatever it was that kind of horror show we saw last year from the free throw line from him and yeah I, I think Brett pointed this out at the the media luncheon and he's right the fact that he's just looking for that shot is totally different from what we saw last year and again we saw I, I wasn't even there that day that was Sunday the Eagles but you know, the fact that Muscala played off him in a scrimmage and he's willing to pull up and shoot it, that's, that's a good sign. Uh, and, and to be, to be fair, the, uh, the Players Tribune video and, and from what we've seen, you know, that video's heavily edited. We haven't seen a lot. Seems like he's, uh, he's running back in the weight room. A lot of Drew Hanlon, uh, this week at the facility. 
he wasn't physically capable of doing that shot last year. So while it's far from the end goal here, I think you can at least admit that he's making some legitimate progress, and that's good to see. Yeah, I the, think uh, I think some people when when they see it, if what we saw is an accurate representation, I think some people, and this is a lot's probably going to be driven by his success, whether or not the shots go in, and. It, you, when we're looking at it right now, or even over the first couple of games, it's kind of meaningless, but I think a lot's going to be driven by that. I think a lot of the narrative will be driven by that. But I think some people are going to look at it and go, oh man, he's still got a lot, a lot to go. I'm disappointed. I thought he was going to make more progress over the summer. And I think some people are going to look at it and say, hey, he's back. He's making progress. Look at how totally. hard this kid works. And I think I'm probably going to end up being somewhere in the middle. Like I think it's probably good that he made progress and that he's now at a point where he's confident enough to use that in games, if that ends up being the case. Um, and I think uh, there's going to be some fair criticism, not cr- uh, some fair worry that it's maybe not where you want it to be. And, you know, I think this has become such a polarizing topic where you can't comment on this without being a hater or without being, you know, being some people will either call you a homer or a hater, either which no matter which way you go, like you're either overlooking serious concerns or you're, you're doubting and hating the kid and, and putting too much pressure on him. And I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Like I think there's reason to be optimistic, optimistic about the progress he made while acknowledging the fact that it's not there yet. And, you know, if he comes out and he's taking those shots and making incremental progress toward where he needs to be, that's all I'm really asking for right now. I think it's interesting. We saw the other day, first of all, they put, you know, that, that Embiid Fultz pick and roll. That was by design. There was, I think, maybe 11 seconds left on the fake shot clock they were using at the end of a, a scrimmage. Um, they called for that pick and roll the coaches did. So they wanted him to take that shot. They also, we saw a high school drill where they basically, you know, they had a player shoot two free throws. If you didn't make both free throws, you ran the length of the court down and back. And they did that until five people went two for two from the line. And first person up was Ben Simmons, and, and he missed one out of two. Um, a couple of other people went, you know, there was Mascala, I know, shot. Um, there was what Landry, uh, Shamit shot and made both. Maybe somebody else went in there and then Markel came in. And, you know, clearly this is to simulate pressure from your teammates to make these shots. And Markel made both of them. And I think the fact that they called a play for him to get that pull up jumper, they put him in that group to take those free throws. You know, I think they're challenging him a little bit to shoot under pressure and to shoot in situations that he'll have to shoot in, 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 in games, in game situation. And I think so far he's taking those shots and that's good to see. Yep. Simmons working on his jumper with his brother is an interesting move. It, it makes sense to me because he's such a family oriented guy. I, I mean, his brother is the manager and they have the new TV show that, that Levin is writing about them. And now his brother, who was a basketball coach, quit his job to focus on Ben shooting. And I, I think that makes sense for Ben. The, his brother, I think his name's Liam, uh, was a Division One basketball coach, so it's not like he's some jabroni. And I think, uh, I think Brett and Ben both mentioned this. He's someone who can call Ben out on his shit when he's being hard-headed and messing up. And I think that's important for Ben. So that, that's good. We'll see how the partnership works out. I do also like that he came out and said right away, it might have been the second quote he had at media day, flat out, he's not going to be firing threes this year. Right. I'm, I'm sure that's going to make all the, uh, if we have any Boston Celtics fans who are listening, probably not too many, 
uh, that'll probably make them happy. Their little joke can continue on that front. <laughs> I had uh, I had one or two coward mentions in my in, in my mentions column for sure. Yep. Sure, and but but I do think it was good. You know, expectations managing, uh, and if that happens one day, it's going to be a process. Uh, Brad, I think the way he put it was, he wants Ben just looking at the rim, which is just it's another example of real talk, and it's it's refreshing. And from what we've seen, it seems like Ben on those free throws, he's really focused on getting that left elbow underneath the basketball because last year it flared out from time to time. And that along with the side spin and involving his son or uh, involving his thumb, that's just no good. And, And I think from what we saw on that, it's not consistent. You can see he's battling that elbow because, as he said, it's a nasty habit and it's something he's been doing for a long time. So it's it's hard to beat that out of yourself and get the muscle memory down. But I, th- I think it's encouraging that he is working on it. You are maybe the nicest person I've ever met. If I ever, ever need anyone to like criti- criti- publicly critique my writing or podcasting, I want you to do it because saying his elbow flared out from time to time is such a nice way of phrasing that. It was every time. And he clearly has made that a priority over the offseason. It is more under the ball. Uh, his a little more of like a one motion, like his free throw, he stopped a lot at the top of the motion before. He's not doing that now. Um, the elbow flare is still there a lot of times. Like he, he starts off in a good place and then he just, he can't prevent it sometimes. And I think that's what you're about to say. It, it's certainly not fixed. But again, it looks like it's something they've tried to address. So do I expect them to come out and shoot 70% this year from the free throw line? Not really. But I think this is a process that had to be started, and I think they tried to start it. So that's at least good. It, and we've said this time and again. I don't need to see a three this year. Nope. It would be really nice, though, if they ran kind of one of those elbow pick and rolls or low pick and rolls, and the defense sagged way under him way under the screen that he would just pull up and on balance shoot that <laughs> right. jumper. I'm glad you threw the on balance in there. Don't yeah, because sometimes he takes it and it's it's a fadeaway for no reason. Yep. I, I would say a lot of times he does. So if he could just stand just jump straight up and down and shoot that jumper when the defense is begging him to do so, e- even sprinkling that in a little bit would be progress because you know, I think we talked about this kind of on the court the other day. If if he gets to a three-point shot and is comfortable, I think that's going to be a couple years down the line. I agree. It, I agree. It's just going to take a while. Yep. So. All right. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. The uh, Again, like you said, we don't get to see any of the five-on-five work, but I thought them talking about how they're uh, they're really focused on – Getting Joel comfortable when other teams play five out situations, a la Al Horford, that's interesting to me. Because here you're taking a defense that was one of the very best in the league. It should be again. You have all the key pieces back. And you realize that a team found a somewhat of a solution against that. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see what that looks like because it, they didn't really describe it in detail outside of like this. This could be a process and it could be tough, but I, that's something to look for. And, you know, just from, from Ben shooting to Joel posting up to the dealing with five out situations, it seems like the Sixers are really focused on using this season to work on ways to beat Boston in the playoffs. And that's good. 
Yeah, it is. And I mean, we can talk about, oh, that's where the NBA is going. But really, I think it's about Boston. And I, I think the way Brett termed it was that's playoff defense. So I think it's clear that they're focusing on Boston when they say that. I think they do need to be a little more prepared when that happens in the spring, should it happen again. But All right, any real quick thoughts on Jimmy Butler? I don't think the Sixers are all that interested in him. No. I, I think he's a really good player, obviously. But uh I think my main takeaways are that I, I don't really think the Sixers are going to get into any sort of a bidding war for him, number one. And and number two, it, it's more just a a reflection of, God, like the, the Thibodeau power structure is just brutal for Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, and you can make you can make draw some uh parallels or at least concerns of parallels here, and you hope that's not the case. You know, from what I understand, the Sixers have done some due diligence recently on his teammates. Uh, I think that was to be expected. Any team that would seriously entertain Jimmy Butler would. I'm not sure they're all that interested. You know, I think, so I guess, I guess my opinion real quick. You're basically looking, if you trade for Jimmy Butler, what you're looking at is a five-year, $190 million contract. Um, that's a massive deal for a guy who will be 34, approaching 35 at the end of that deal who's played a lot of minutes, who's had injuries of late, and who's been playing for Tom Thibodeau pretty much his entire career. There are some real concerns. Those last two years, uh, when he's making a combined $83 million between 2022 and 2024, I have concerns over that portion of the contract. Pretty pretty big concerns. Whereas if you sign him in free agency and you don't have his bird rights, you're talking four years, $140 million, and rather than $83 million, in 2022 and 23 and, and 2023, 24, you're just talking about 37 million, only 37 million in 2022, 23. So I think that last year and the, you know, you're talking what maybe 3 million more per year because of the higher raises. I think that last year is really the part that I would be concerned about because if there's basically you need some assurances that his body's not going to break down and that he's not going to become a problem in the locker room to the point where he might jeopardize Ben and Joel. And I think those are the two concerns with Jimmy Butler. Fantastic player would make them a hell of a lot better this year. Not a perfect fit because he's such a ball dominant, uh, streaky shooter. Although I think his spot up numbers are, are pretty decent if I remember correctly, but you know, he's going to want the ball. He's going to want to be in, in pick and roll spots. He's going to want to, you know, create off the dribble and, and his shot streaky. Like that's not perfect, but in terms of getting a two way wing, I'm not sure you're, you know, I think you can get Jimmy Butler for decent value right now. Like, I don't think it's going to take the farm to get Jimmy Butler. And there might, there will probably be other opportunities to get a star. I'm not sure there's going to be other opportunities to get a player this good and for below market trade value. But I think with a concern, like I said, it's either, is he going to alienate, you know, fracture the locker room or is his body going to break down? And if you're sitting here in two years and either one of those are true, it's going to be much easier to get off of that four-year contract signed as a free agent than that five-year contract signed with bird rights. So I think would I have a lot of interest in Jimmy Butler this summer signing him on that four-year deal? Yeah, I'd probably have some interest. Um, I mean, he's just, he's a fantastic player, but it, trading for him, trying to figure out whether or not he's a threat to leave this season, this summer to, um, to Los Angeles, giving up that value to get him in a trade. And then also, by the way, there's, you know, there's a, there's a threat that Jimmy Butler leaves and a threat that Jimmy Butler stays because whether or not that contract could turn into 
something that you have to move off from either because of injury or, 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 or fractured locker room. There's just, I would uh, more, more importantly than any of my thoughts, I would be surprised. I don't think the Sixers interest is strong at this point. I think, I think Bovada recently came out with odds today and I think the Sixers were like, maybe like the sixth most likely team. I think they were maybe at like 25 to one. And I think Miami was at top and then I was staying in Minnesota and then there was the Clippers and the Nets and somebody else mixed in there as well. So I don't think Vegas necessarily thinks the Sixers are a high likelihood to trade for Butler. The read I get is that the interest is lukewarm, uh, but they have done their due diligence. Yep. How do you think Bovada comes up with those prop bets on when like a, a free agent or a disgruntled player, what team they'll end up in? Because the Eagles just had something with Josh Gordon where they were the number one team. And it seemed like they had no interest at all after the fact. Uh, I don't know. That always kind of bothered me. It seems like they're grasping for straws there. Yeah. And I, I agree. I, the one thing I will say trading for him this year though, if I, I, I totally understand the, uh, the concern about giving him five years, but it, if you're going to acquire him, you do also get one more year in his prime. For sure. Yeah, you want him yeah. when he's 29 years old, right? Yep. No, I mean this it, would that would kind of be a wasted year. It, I know a lot of it, it comes depends down on what the price is and everything, but yep, absolutely. He would make them better absolutely. this year. No, he would. He would, and they would certainly be right there with Boston, probably the favorite to go to the finals. And it's hard to turn down that NBA Finals year, and it's tough. I I I I like Jimmy Butler a lot. I also understand when there's some hesitation on giving up both a lot of trade value and also then committing to him long term. Um we'll see. I don't I don't I I just don't expect them to be too too in on him anyway. Um we'll see. We'll see. Alright, you want to get to the player previews? Quick player previews. TJ uh we'll start off with TJ. How can you not play TJ? <laughs> that will be a question once again. Uh I think for a few years straight now, we've come into training camp thinking, okay, this is the year when TJ loses minutes. They have more invested in some of these other players. His lack of shooting does drag down the offense a little bit, etc. I'm not doing that anymore, man. If I'm going to be wrong, it's going to be in the other direction. <laughs> with, with the way that the franchise has gone and for all of his faults, TJ has been a steady influence on this team. So I do think he's going to have a role of some sort. The question is, if Markel Fultz is playing at a high level, what type of role that would be? It it makes it hard, for sure. Uh, just because my memory is so terrible. I went back and checked the game logs from last year when, uh, when Markel came back for the last 10 games. Yep. And, and outside of a few games, that uh, that barn burner against Cleveland being one of them, TJ was still a legitimate part of the rotation when Fultz came back. And I think as long as there aren't any major step uh, setbacks or whatever, the Sixers are going to give Markel the bulk of the backup point guard minutes. So TJ is going, you know, if this is going to work, TJ is going to have to find a way to coexist with Markel. And he was phenomenal. By the way, TJ was phenomenal in that Boston series. Do you – this is totally off topic. Do you remember game four when I don't know who this guy – what he was on or what he was drinking or whatever, 
there was a dude sitting in front of us and he was like mean mugging us every time TJ scored a bucket. <laughs> yes. Yes. Literally everybody in the media section was scared for their life, lives with this guy. It was, it was like he wanted to scream at us for no reason. It's not like we were ripping on TJ the whole time. Uh, he was like, that's my boy. Yeah. He's not your boy. Uh, it was, it was crazy. Uh, anyway, don't be that fan. Uh, you know, and it's, you know, when you look back at the regular season, the team didn't play that. They didn't play as well with TJ in the game. And that's partly because he was playing with a bad bench for at least half the season. And, you know, if you look at the overall package, I do think if you're looking at all of the point guards, I don't, and I don't have the stats to back this up. So maybe I'm wrong. He feels like an NBA caliber backup point guard to me. One of the best 60 in the world. But Markel has a higher ceiling as a player, and they have so much more invested in him. So, you know, him working off the ball, his shot's going to be a big, big thing this year. All right. I think everybody listening to the podcast knows about TJ. Over or under 15 minutes per game. Good number. I'm going to say under. I think under. I think if it's over 15 minutes and something bad happened to Markel. Uh, so I'm going to say under because I think that's the most optimistic way to look at it. I do think that he did get some time at the end of the year, those last 10-game run, even when Markell came back. I think everybody is expecting Markell to have a bigger role than he had during that time. You know, at, at Those last 10 games, I don't think Markell and Ben shared the court at all. Like, period, end of story. I'd be surprised if there was even a minute in there. So I think this year there will be some overlap between Markell and, and Ben. That will eat into some of the two guard, two point guard lineups that TJ may have been involved in. So I think it could be even less in that run towards the end of the season. I do think, I do think TJ will find his way onto the court. I do think there will be periods where Brett will want that kind of pressure on the perimeter defensively. And I think because of that, Brett will want to keep him in the regular rotation if for no other reason. So he's ready during those matchups. But I don't think it's going to be – I do think he's going to be in the rotation. I think it's going to be the least number of minutes he's seen as a sixer, though. Yeah. Are you uh, Are you prepared for a world where TJ McConnell isn't a sixer next year? I, I mean, I think, I think we talked about this last podcast. I think that is probably pretty likely. I think it makes perfect sense for somebody, some other team, to offer him more time in a larger role than the sixers will. Again, assuming Markel – Works oh. out even a little bit. TJ's, he's great to root for. He's great to watch. He's great in that locker room. But yes, I think, <sighs> I think you have to prepare for that outcome. Um, for at least the possibility of that outcome. Yeah. It would just, it would just and, be a misuse of resources if, uh, if they paid him more than anyone else on the market, I think. Yep. And, uh, one quick stat in his shooting. I looked up his spot up numbers on Synergy last year. 1.015 points per possession. That's pretty good. Uh, made some strides definitely last year, but how many I per game? It, that's the problem. The <laughs> the volume was not there, and he mentioned that he's got to he's got to take more and he's got to speed up the release a little bit. So that's going to be big for him. All right. Um, who's the other one? You can tell how prepared. Oh, Dario. Ugh. I mean, this how can is you just, not play Dario? These, these are just my favorite people right right here. Uh, what a guy. Have you, uh, have you seen the video on him of, on, uh, Dario and Embiid reuniting? No, I haven't. Oh, it's unbelievable. Like, Embiid is yelling at him for not texting him all summer, and Dario's like, I'm not gonna do his accent, but he's like, 
you should have congratulated me on the final game. He meant uh, Croatia making right. the the World Cup, but he said you should have congratulated me, and it was <laughs> it was so great. Uh, I think it, this is my fault, but watching him in Europe when you know when we were told he was never coming over, I kind of expected this quiet, surly type of dude, uh, and that's that might just be my fault, just judging his his body language and whatever. If you ask anyone on the team, they'll straight up tell you he's the funniest guy on the team. Yep. Uh, and I think the, you know, the jumping off point with Saric is his role in the starting lineup. And also, by the way, how about Embiid dropping a net rating on Sunday? <laughs> yes, he did. He didn't even just, cause sometimes they will reference the number and us being the degenerates that we are, we'll know the numbers off the top of our head and we'll immediately know that they're top, talking about net rating or defensive rating or offensive rating. He actually said net rating. It was, it was interesting to see. Again, I was at the Eagles, but rewatching that, I was like, okay, Jojo, you're getting because your analytics fix. All right. Even Brett, a lot of times, will say we have the third ranked defense or the 12th ranked offense or the, you know, this lineup was top five in net rate or in, in efficiency. He won't actually say like net rating or defensive rating. So in B dropping that was, was interesting. I always wonder how much these guys either dive into it themselves or probably more likely the team, the analytics team. We'll hand out packets and how much these guys read these packets. And Embiid clearly does. Embiid clearly does. Uh, yeah. And the, the net rating he's talking about, it's been bandied about forever. There's 48 five man units that played over 200 minutes together. They were second, 21.4 net rating plus. Uh, and to be, to be fair, the, the, the unit that was ahead of them, was not even close to the minutes that they played. So if you want to say they were the, they, it also had Jimmy Butler too, which, you know, that's not going to happen again this year. Uh, not in Minnesota anyway. So this was the best heavy minutes lineup in the league. And the guy who molded his game the most to fit it was Mr. Homie. He, I, I would imagine they'll begin, uh, the year with that group starting. But I, I guess my question for you is, do you think, do you think if Fultz shows well, maybe his jumper improves as the season goes along, or maybe he's just so dominant getting to the rim that he becomes such a force. Do you think there's a chance that Brett shifts Dario to a six-man role by the end of the year? Yeah. Um, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this before. Like I, you, I think Reddick provides more gravity than Dario does as well as Dario shot the ball like Reddick coming off of a screen has way more influence on on bending a defense than Dario does. And uh, Covington is such a versatile defender. And oh, by the way, he can shoot 37% from three too, even if it's maybe a little more up and down than you would like. He's still, you know, one of your more versatile defenders, probably your most versatile perimeter defender. Made an all-defensive team on merit, by the way, not just from people looking at deflections and, and, and overvaluing them. <laughs> he's going to be hard to take out of the lineup. And I think a lot of people assume he's the one who goes if Fultz does. I'm not buying that completely. I'm not buying that really at all. Like knowing how Brett values defenders and versatility and, and guys who can defend multiple spots. I think that's going to be a real debate. And I think Dario is, it's interesting because Dario pretty much said, I forget where he said that might've been on the Ricky actually. He said that he prefers to start. And last year he tried to tailor his game to come off the bench. Um, he didn't, didn't prefer it. He would like to start. Starting is important for him. 
So you're going to have to not only get him okay with coming off the bench, but also figure out how to make him the most effective as well. But I do think there is a chance, and this is all putting the cart way before the horse. Like Markel has to come out and show that he's deserving of that starting spot, um, that you're going to start him alongside Ben. And then you have that decision to make. But do I think there's a chance? Yeah, there's a, there, there's a world in where, in which they want to, and a lot of it's going to depend on how Covington plays as well and how Dario plays and whether or not that surge from maybe December 1st on on his three-point shooting is legit, and I think it is, but he's going to have to come out there and make those shots. Covington's going to have to come out there and make those shots. But if, if depending on how that goes, there is certainly a world where Covington stays in the starting lineup if Markell gets promoted. It's a good problem to have. It is. If, if, it, if, if, if you're going to tell me they have six starters, I'm going to say, great, let's go. Because by the so, way, they're, they're all getting twenty-eight to thirty plus minutes anyway, so it doesn't it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I was just thinking same minutes just off the bench. Although you know, it'd be interesting who closes games. Maybe that's done on a situational basis. Uh, Dario didn't close every game last year. Sometimes Ersan was playing really well. So it's funny too because you you think when when you just look at Dario's skill set that he could handle a bigger role off the bench. Where, you know, maybe Simmons is off the floor or Embiid's off the floor at some point and you run more of the offense through him. But there were some good stats from your preview piece, man. 94% of his attempts last season came with four more feet of space between the shooter and the defender. 97.5%, these are his threes, by the way, of his threes came without taking a dribble. And every three he made was assisted. So while he had such a great season last year, it came as a spot-up player. It came as a fourth or a fifth option. And like you, I think that shooting is legit. 86% free throw shooter last year. That's good. Uh, I could see, you know, maybe a little regression back from the 39%, but not much. I think he's going to be above average for his career. I just wonder if if he's really ready. You know, Brett mentioned that he might post him up a little bit more. I'm not... I'm not sure that's going to be like a great long-term strategy. He can do it, you know, when there's a smaller guy on him, and that's part of the beauty of the Sixers lineup. You know, if you put a bigger guy on Simmons, Sarge might have a mismatch in the post. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you know, it, it's weird that he kind of tailored his game last year, and in a way, it seemed like he made a lot of sacrifices to to become that fourth or fifth option. But looking at it, part of me thinks that's the perfect role for him. Yeah, and I mean, when he came over, so when you're watching Sharge overseas for Fez and before that in the Croatian League, you're looking at it and you're saying, wow, he's a really creative passer. But you always wondered, well, how much of that's going to translate when he's having to create against NBA athleticism? Yep. And I think so far, he has turned himself into a better role player than you would have expected when you watched him. So you don't have to really answer that question. You don't have to worry about that concern. But if you do ask him to, you know, handle a larger creation role, and it's hard, it is hard, you know, it's it's hard to really say. Um, <laughs> By because the way, so many... everybody should everybody should notice this when you when you watch a Dario Saric press conference, count the amount of times he says it's hard. Yeah, he says or, it's or hard. Or some way or another. Um, but when you know when a lot of those stats that will come, oh, he did this off the bit when he comes off the bench, he did this when he starts. Well, a lot of that came in the rookie season too. And is that the fact that he's better on when he's a starter, or is that the fact that he just got better between year one and year two, and that's reflected in those numbers? So I think it's something to monitor. I think it's something to talk to Dario and see what his real thought process is behind it. But I mean, it's it's like you said, if they end up 
And ultimately, by the way, you know, maybe you looked at Dario as a rookie in his rookie season and you saw what he had to create sometimes. And you say, well, can't he do that consistently at NBA level? But he didn't have Ben Simmons. He didn't have Markel Fultz. Even towards the end of that season, he didn't have Joel Embiid. So you've got, there, there will be very few instances where you don't have another creator on the floor. Almost none if Markel Fultz works out. So he's never going to have to be like the guy. So it may not even matter all that much or it may not matter as much as it did as a rookie because there's going to be playmakers on the court with him. Yep. And then, you know, defense is half the game and it's clear the Sixers told him to improve his quickness because they switch a ton and he's the guy who is, can be flat footed and attacked on the perimeter. And by the way, they're still, when, when that's happening, they're putting the clamps on everyone still. Right. But it, it, it's just that he's the weakest spot of that bunch. So I, I don't want to say like, you know, he's unplayable on the defensive end because he's not. They've clearly found a way to thrive. And he was another guy who was really good in the playoffs too. No, uh, I mean, look, he's, he's, he's an attentive defender. Like he's got his eyes open. He's rotating. He knows the concepts. He's just, it's, you know, Brett, pretty much all, all, not preseason. We're not there yet. Training camp. Brett has been talking about, can you defend your man? Can you keep your man in front of you? And he, a lot of times he's the one who struggles the most. And certainly if he has to switch, he's going to struggle even more. And that's really what you hope he improves defensively. And that's hard. Improving is hard. (laughs) Improving foot speed. It's not, uh, not an easy thing to do. He had a good answer about this. It was like, you know, I think I've made improvements there and I had four games in European qualifying, but those guards aren't as quick and they're not as good as the guys you see over here. So we'll see. I hope I got quicker. And that's, that's a great honest answer. And let me reiterate, reiterate one more time. I love this guy. He's the best. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but, but that's, that's going to be the question for him. Is he, can, can he get incre- just even incrementally better at keeping his, his man in front of him? Because, you know, for the most part, he's going to have Embiid ready to clean up a lot of the messes he makes. Uh, but yeah, not getting the Sixers in the rotations is, is a big focus for this team. And I think, you know, we'll talk about Mike Mescal at some point too. That's, that's something they clearly told their, they're slower four men to kind of to kind of focus on because they want to be able to switch everything one to four in front of JoJo. Yep. All right. I think that's probably about all I have. We've got two games coming up here. Before they start heading overseas, we will have a lot more to talk about when that happens. But thank you for jumping on, Rich, and we will talk to you soon. All right, man. See ya. My mic check is life for death, breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke, a Buddha through righteous steps.